congregation that is considered together or defined in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 34, questions 92 through 95. Page 69. Question 92. What is the law of God? And so God spake all these words in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And what follows? Question 93. How are these commandments divided into two tables? first of which teaches us how we must behave towards God. The second, what do these we owe to our neighbor? Question 94. What does God enjoin in this first commandment? Answer. That I, as sincerely as I desire the salvation of my own soul, avoid and flee from our idolatry, sorcery, soothsaying, superstition, invocation of saints or any other creatures, and learn rightly to know the only true God. Trust in him alone. With humility and patience, submit to him. Expect all good things from him only. Love, fear, and glorify him with my whole heart so that I renounce and forsake all creatures rather than commit even the least thing contrary to his will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is instead of, of, of or beside that one true God who has manifested himself in his word to contrive or have any other object in which men place their trust. So far. The theme for tonight, honoring the only true God. Honoring the only true God. With the help of the Lord, five thoughts. Honoring the caring God. Secondly, honoring a different God. In the third place, honoring a trustworthy God. In the fourth place, honoring an omniscient God. And in the fifth place, honoring a satisfying God. Honoring the only true God, a caring God, a different God, a trustworthy God, an omniscient God, and a satisfying God. Congregation, today we begin a series on the Ten Commandments. On the moral law, is it called? The law of God, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, also called. No, we are not going to talk about the ceremonial law, about the priests and the sacrifices and the tabernacle and all the activities and feasts. Those are the ceremonial laws also given by God for a certain time to Israel. We leave it alone. We only speak on the moral law. We also don't talk about the civil law, 
tonight and the coming weeks is civilized for Israel's government about the Jubilee year, about taxes, about property lines, etc. We also let it go. We also don't want to talk about the law of nature. Like gravity is also a law, right? The law of gravity that things fall down, not fall up. That's something of an inclination in nature. It's a law of nature. And the Apostle Paul also uses the word law in a different sense. He says, I find then a law that when I would do good, and I'm willing to do good, evil is present with me. It's a law. It comes back. I can resist it. It's always there. Always that gravity. Always that draw to sin. I find that a law that I would, that if I would do good, evil is present with me. So the moral law, only, only the Ten Commandments. And before we go into the details, what could we say in general about the law of God? Now the moral law is, what will you say? Tell me something about the moral law. Young people, in your thoughts, try to be listening actively. What, what is the law and what could you tell about the Ten Commandments? Well, God's moral law is from eternity. It's always been there. It's as old as God is. Not something the Lord has found out or made himself. No, God is, is God from eternity. And from eternity, he is, he is this God with this law. And those laws don't change. Unchangeable laws. As I said, the ceremonial laws are temporary. The veil of the temple, for example, ran from the top to the bottom. We don't have sacrifices anymore. That's, that's all past. But the moral law is always intact, always there. Never changes. The moral law was revealed in the heart of Adam and Eve. And when they were created by the Lord, they had, they had the feeling that this is right, that's wrong. They just know it, they said. They just know what's right, what's wrong. They did not have it on paper. The Lord did not tell them orally. They just knew by heart what's right, what's wrong. The Ten Commandments were created in them, innate. We don't have it anymore. We have a conscience that deceives us. We feel sometimes good about something. We say, I don't see anything evil in that. What's wrong with that? Nothing wrong with it. I just don't feel it. I feel, I feel good about it. So deceiving. But Adam and Eve, before the fall, of course... They really felt exactly what was right and what was wrong. They had a perfect understanding. We don't have it anymore. That God, that love God was given to Moses in a very special way. Remember that? Moses received it in a very special way and he gave it to Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon the mount two tables of testimony. Two tables of stone written with the finger of God. I don't understand that. But it all means that God was personally involved in writing the law in those tablets, in those stony tablets. And it was, this is my law. This is my commandment. The law of the Lord is always good. There's nothing that harms people. If people really would be able to obey all the laws of the Ten Commandments, it would be so healthy. 
such a healthy law is so unhealthy to disobey one of those commandments. Unhealthy for, for society, unhealthy for the church, unhealthy personally, unhealthy in family life. The law is good. And disobeying it always harms people. You have to obey the law or you're harming yourself. For example, the first commandment, not serving the true God, the only God, takes all the comfort away. Think of Jeremiah 2.13. For my people, the Israelites, they're God's people in a sense, outwardly, for my people have committed two evils, not one, but two evils. They've forsaken me, sin against the first commandment, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, seated harms, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So sin against the first commandment is forsaking God, is hewing out cisterns that are leaky and don't hold water. So it's harmful. No wonder the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 7, therefore, for that reason, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. It's good. The law of God is good. It's a just law, the right law, precious law, good law, healthy law, helping people. And what about the summary of the law? How would you summarize the law, the Ten Commandments? Could you mention one word? It's summarized in one word, right? Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is, like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, Hang all the law and the prophets. What is that? It's love. To love God over everything. To prefer him over all things. And to love the neighbor as yourself. That's the fulfillment of the law. Of all the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments are not negotiable. You cannot negotiate the law. But if I would do this, can I just have a little less of that? In, in, in marriage, you need to negotiate, right? Give and take a little bit in there. And tomorrow I heard that President Zelensky from Ukraine and President Putin from Russia will talk together. They may negotiate and say, we give and we take. We hope they can come with a solution, with peace, with a peace treaty. With God, you cannot ever negotiate. It's his law. God cannot depart from that. He cannot change it. He can't amend it. It's nothing you can do because it's the best. It's good. It's absolutely good. So for the Lord, not the majority counts, but the majority thinks, not in a democracy. The Lord says, this is my, this is my word, this is my law, that's the way it is. The Ten Commandments are also divided in two tables. The first four and the next six. The first part of about the relationship with God. And the second part is about the relationship with the neighbor. The first one is the most fundamental one, of course. 
We deal with the first one today, and our first thought is honoring a caring God. Why do I say that? How, come, how, did, how did that come to pass? The first thought, a caring God. You may wonder what's the background of that. Why does the minister say that? Why did he make a point of that? A caring God. How do you connect it with the first commandment? Let me explain it to you. I'll first show you something from Isaiah 46. I see the city of Jerusalem being destroyed by Kiev, being destroyed. I see people leaving the city like hundreds of thousands are leaving Kiev. I see it also in the Bible. And they take suitcases along and horses along and camels along in their donkey and wagons and carriages. They're leaving with all their stuff. And they know where they're going. They're going to Babylon, right, in captivity. They also are guarded by soldiers. But now have a look. Look at that wagon there. They have a statue on it, on the wagon. It's the statue of the idol Bel. Bel. It was a Babylonian god, Bel. And they have a statue of him, an idol of him, and they, and they put it with them. They take it along to Babylon, put it on the wagon or on the, on, on the animal. And they see a little further, so also with a statue of Nebu. Nebu. Nebo was a statue, quite a statue that was standing straight, and now it is toppled, and it is on the back of a camel or so, or some, of an oxen. Isn't that a strange sight? That they carry their own idols? That those idols cannot help them, but the idols need to be helped by the people? The idols that Israel had been serving cannot even walk themselves. They take them along. The sad thing. Do they still believe in them? Now they're carried away into captivity? Do they want to take those idols along? Really? Is it so deep? Are they such idolaters that when they are having to leave the country that they take the idols along with them? They do. Those idols have not been able to spare them. Now they take them along. And even in these difficult times, Israel does not rid itself from their idols. The point Isaiah wants to make is this. What's the difference between those idols on the back of the animal on the wagon, just laying down, stooping down, not, not, not being straight anymore. What's the difference between that, 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 that idol and the God of Israel? The God of Israel is doing the opposite. He carries his people. The people of Israel are carrying their idols. And God's carrying the people. That's such a different God. He does not need to be carried. He carries himself. He cares for that people. See the contrast? Now I would say, open your Bibles again at Isaiah 46 and see what it says. Now there's a better understanding, I hope. Bell boweth, boweth down. See that bell is down. 
Nebo stupeth is down. The idols are upon the beasts. See that? Upon the beasts. And upon the cattle. Their carriages are heavy loaden. They're a burden to the weary beasts. Loaded with idols. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are now into captivity. Hearken unto your house of Jacob and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me, carried by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb, and even to your old age I am he, even to whole hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry, I will deliver you. You see that? Carrying, bearing, bearing. The Lord cares for his people. He just is holding them as a little baby. They can walk. So the Lord carries his people into captivity. How is that in our life? Do we carry our idols? Do our idols carry us? Did they really help us, comfort us? I don't think so. Be careful of our money, for our possessions. Be careful of our families, our idols. But are we carried by our God? What a blessing to rid yourself from the idols, idols who cannot help us in the time of trouble. So... Why I begin here? Well, is that not what God's lies it starts, starts, starts with? I am the Lord thy God, right? I am the Lord thy God, which says, deliver thee from the house of Egypt, from the, from the house of bondage. I am that God. I has delivered you. The Ten Commandments do not start, do not start with the first commandment. It starts with, I am the Lord thy God. See, that's why I call the first thought a caring God. I am the Lord thy God. I carry people. I support people. I comfort people. I am the God who brings people home. I, bring, I, I am the God who is able to do that. I'm not like the idols. They're carried by the people. I carry the people myself. And therefore the Lord says, I am thy God. So therefore, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Right? If that's who God is, if he carries his people, if he's so caring, then why should we even look for another God? There is no better God. He's a loving God, a caring God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's why he has that introduction. Our maker is a worthy God. Our fathers prefer to talk about God's law in that light. In that light, not as a condemning law, but as a healthy law, as a good law. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a, that's, a, that's a kind way of saying it, not only a condemning. It's also condemning, I agree with that. It's also caring. I am the Lord, I don't, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't look for anyone else but me. I'm the best. The first commandment is that we must worship him because he desires to carry sinners. So what is the language of our heart? What do we say? Lord, Lord don't carry me. I, I carry my own idols. Let, let me carry my, my own stuff. Just leave me alone. 
Let me do my own thing. That's exactly what the people of Israel did. And that's why we see them going to Babylon with all this stuff, all the things they carry them. Is that you still? Now someday, the hand of the Lord comes over us. And then it's crucial. If we are carried by God, or if we are carrying our idols, our idols are just, they don't care about us. They don't exist even. Keep in mind that if you need help, salvation, forgiveness, the idols will disappoint you. They can't help you. They have, no, they have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have hands, but they can't handle. They have feet, but they can't lock. The idols are just stooping down. They are of the socket. They are carried along with the people. They can do nothing for you. But if you may belong to God's people, he will carry us. Like a mother carries a baby. I care for you. I love you. I am there for you. So thou shalt have no other gods before me is especially tender against this background of a God who carries the people. Let's go to the second thought. A different God. Different? Why do you say that, minister, different? Well, that's also in this chapter. I see it in verse 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that it may be like? The Lord says, I am so different. Who are you going to resemble me, to liken me, make me equal? There's nobody like me. I'm so incomparable. I'm so unique. I'm so special. I'm so rare. Eternally rare, so different than anything and anyone else. I am a different God. There's a word in the Bible for that. A special word that means incomparable. That means you can't liken him with anything, anyone else. What is the word? You know the word. Holy. 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 The angels said in the vision of the, of, 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 the apostle, of the prophet Isaiah, holy, holy, holy. You know what it means? Never seen someone like him. So amazing, so unique, so rare. Holy, holy, holy. Yes, they see it as if it is a fresh thing if they've never seen it before. There's only one creator, right? You can't compare God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You cannot compare him to anyone else. He is absolutely so vastly, infinitely different. He is the only creator. Everything else is creation. Nobody else is infinite. Nobody else is righteous. Nobody else is just. Nobody else is so patient. Nobody else is so gracious. And who 
would ever give his only begotten son. That's unheard of. Who would you liken God to? He's so different. The God of Israel says, I'm, I'm, I'm so different than all the idols. I'm such a special God. I'm so precious to my people. I, I'm the only one. There's no, no, no one like me. So we see that in Isaiah 46, verse 5, but also in verse 9, it comes back. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. It's repeated also in this chapter. There's none like me, there's none like me, there's absolutely none like me, so why would you have other gods? You should have no other gods before me, because I'm the most caring God. And the most unique God, there is no second like that. Did you know it already? Do you know something of that awe-inspiring God who is so good and so infinitely, infinitely gracious? And the Bible speaks of the beauties of God, even, right? Do you miss him? Are you reconciled with him? Is he your God? Have you surrendered unto him? Have you capitulated for him? Have you, do you love him? Have you believed in him? Do you trust him? He is so caring. He cares the people. He carries them. And he is so unique. There's no one like him. Isaiah, or 1 Samuel, rather 1 Samuel 2, 2. There is none holy as the Lord. None holy as the Lord. None so unique as the Lord. There is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. There's no rock like him. You know, when you point someone to a special tree, huge tree, maybe the tallest tree you know in the world. In the cathedral forest, a huge tree, this is so unique. This is such a special tree. Come have a look. And I come have a look. I say, that's, that's gigantic. What a tree that is. But saying it is incomparable. No. Look there, a little smaller. Look there, a little smaller. Look there, a little bigger. Nothing on earth is incomparable. Only God is. Isaiah 66 was 3, And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What about Hosea? Hosea also writes about the uniqueness, the incomparability of God. And in the context of forgiveness, I will not execute, I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. The 
Holy One, in the midst of thee, and I will not enter to the city. See? So the subject was forgiveness. How can God forgive? Would, would we be able to forgive if people had done to us what we do to the Lord? We have a hard time forgiving. But the Lord is God, not man. He can forgive. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. So that's why. Not executing the fears of his anger. His anger, but he is not executing it. He is, he is slow to anger and plenty of mercy. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One. See, that is this beautiful sentence. I am God and not man, the Holy One. Or Micah 7, same thing. About God's being so different, so beautifully different. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He delighteth in mercy. See that? Who is God? Who is a God like unto thee, pardoning iniquity? So I try to exalt God tonight, telling you that he is a caring God. He carries the people. He is not carried by the people. He carries himself. He is such a unique God, incomparable God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me because I am the best, he says. Last proof of that, Isaiah 43, verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. What a text. Think of the people in Ukraine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee, for I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, and Ethiopia and Sheba for thee. So the holiness of God is not something to only fear. The holiness of God is also saving. This holy means different. He is doing the opposite of what people think. He, can, he, he pardons iniquity. He's holy. Because of his holiness, he pardons iniquity. Let's go to the third thought. He trusts worthy God. What is the heart of the sin against the first commandment? What do you think? Because we don't have idols, do we? Yeah, we, we, we make idols. Money and idol and prestige and status and family and husband or wife. We have idols, you know. What's at the heart of it? What's the real painful or beautiful? Depends on the side you look at it. What is the heart of obeying the first commandment? Something we sin daily against. It is the, the, the Lord wants to be trusted. 
He wants to be unconditionally trusted in all he does and, it, and, and with all he is. Being trusted as a trustworthy God. And the problem with those people is, since the fall, they don't trust him. And that's really painful. That means that we have other gods before him. We trust others. We trust self, not trusting God. That's why Eve took that fruit, right? That's why Adam ate himself as well. Not trusting God. Having hard thoughts of God. Having low thoughts of him. Isaiah 31. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because there are many and horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. And that's the hard thing. So it's a a really major sin to sin against the first commandment, right? you agree with that? And the heart of that is not trusting him. Not trusting him for daily life, trusting him for eternity, not really trusting him. He is, he is kind of average. He is someone you wonder about. Does he mean it or not? Is he sincere? And that's sad, right? Trusting. Also, the hypercatechism points to that. Halfway, question 94. And learn rightly to know the only true God. Trust in him alone with humility and patience. Submit to him. Expect all good things from him. Only love, fear, glorify him with my whole heart. See that? It's the heart of it. To fear, to love, to glorify, to submit, to expect, to trust him. And we trust the idols. We trust the money. We trust the doctors. We trust so many people in that sense. But idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in him, in them. Trusted in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. For the life. If you for, for time and eternity, for body and soul, may trust him. That is the fulfillment of the first commandment. And the first commandment is a way of expressing gratitude to God. Right? The Lord likes to see that in his people that they trust him unconditionally for all things in this life. After that, they have no worries. They're content in the true godliness. So who are the idolaters? Maybe you say tonight, I am the idolater. Idolizing things, carrying things, 
that cannot help me. Not so unique at all. Not so trustworthy at all. And that trusting is, of course, also a trusting in Christ, the Savior. Not believing, not truly believing, fakely believing doesn't help. I don't recommend anyone to just believe in a fake, phony way that is not helpful at all. But the true saving believing is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him. Trusting the gospel preaching, trusting the word, trusting the invitation, trusting the outstretched arms of God coming unto us. Come unto me, ye that are heavy laden. I will give you rest. That is an invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we trust that? Do we trust the word? Or do we say, well, I hope someday it will be given to me to trust? You can easily say that. But that's, that's not helpful either. The Lord says, don't you trust me? Is there no God in Israel? Is there not a Savior? Where are you going? I'm the only God who can do that. I'm the only that exists, the only that is so good, the only that is so different. So keep in mind that not believing in God and not trusting the Lord Jesus Christ is a sin against the first commandment. Brings you the fourth one an omniscient God. So I have a brief point. Omniscient, why, why pastor, why, why insert that, omniscient? Now it says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I'm looking. I see everything. You can't hide anything. Don't do that to me. I see it all. Have no other gods before me. I'm here. I'm standing here. I, I look at you. Are you blatantly sinning against me? And when I'm looking, you just don't care? You don't want, you, do you want to hurt me? Have no other gods before me. Proverbs 15, the eyes of the Lord are, are, are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, can any hide himself in secret places? Can you? Can you hide in secret places that I shall not see him? Say the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth? Say the Lord. So practically, do we dare to sin against God? Looking at a certain website and our husband standing behind us. And you, you, as a wife, you look at things you should not look at. What do you mean? Also, ladies can be addicted to pornography. And do you dare to look at that? Your husband standing behind you? You don't do that. He, he, may, he, may, he may not see that. That's secret. But you know, even if your husband is not standing there, if he will never find out, the Lord is present. Whenever you are tempted to sin, there's nobody in the room and nobody knows, remind yourself, remind yourself, 
God is there. Omnipresent God. And don't do this before him. Don't do this when he's looking. He's always looking, so never do that. Would you say things that are not proper when your father's in the room? Would you be so excited about winning a game if God would be next to you? So, very briefly, remind yourself of God's omnipresence. Acts 17. Though he be not far from every one of us. Everyone, not far. He's, he's, he's close to you. He's close to all of us. Always. At night, during the day, in the office, in secret places, in hotels, on vacation, on business trips. He's always there. Always before. He's always, you're always before him. He, he, he doesn't forget either. Eh? So, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I don't want to see it. I want you to serve me. I want, I want I, I the best for you. And then the last thought, a satisfying congregation. Is there anything in this life, in this world, that you cannot miss? You desperately want it. You're adamant, I have to have it. I must have it. Maybe persons, joys, things, actions, I don't know. It is something you have to have because otherwise life is meaningless and you don't want to even live anymore. I mean, so important that you say, without that I die or, or I wish to die. So dear this deal. It's kind of an, an indication that it is idolatry. If you such a such a desire for it, you have it. You can think of missing that or losing that. <clears throat> Genesis thirty, verse one. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, "Give me children, or else I die. Or else I die. See, that's in my heart. Or else I die." Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. To covet, whatever it is. So you say, I must have it. I must find a husband. I must have a child. I must have work. I must have a big house. I must have more. That, that must, that is that is greed, that is covetousness, right? And that is idolatry, that is putting too much value on it. So some say, I must have an excellent marriage. I must have it. And if I don't have it, much life. It's idolatry. Lamentations 3, right? You remember that? Good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth, right? 
It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. Save my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. If that's the case, if you say, I suffer, things are not so easy in my life, I have problems in my life, and I can't solve anymore. But, you know, it's of the Lord's mercies that you're not concerned. And he fails not. And the Lord is my portion. Therefore, will I hope in him. That solves it. So who has everything? Who is completely satisfied with what he has? Are you? Do you say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy I have everything. There can be something wrong with that as well. Right? You're so satisfied, so happy without God, without the Savior. That's the sin against the first commandment. The Apostle Paul writes about that, about holding things not tight, but loosely, the open hand, loosely holding on to this life. Listen to this. How loosely we have to, to, to hold on to this life. Because God satisfies himself. But as I say, brethren, the time is short. It remains, therefore, that both days have lives, they that have wives be as though they had none. And they that weep, oh, it is so sad. I understand. They that weep as though they wept not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. They that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this life disappears. So we need true satisfaction in God, in Him. That's the first commandment. Seek satisfaction. Seek all you need in me and nowhere else. I am the Lord thy God. I have brought you out of the land of Egypt of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, because I am the God who can satisfy your heart and give you all you are in need of. So let me mention two texts about satisfaction. Psalm 63. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips, Marrow, fatness, what is that? Well, we have talked about it before, but maybe you have missed it. In Israel, they love to suck out the marrow out of the bones. So when they butcher an, an animal and they divide it in pieces, they also pay attention to the bones. And they split the bones and they suck them out. It was, they, they thought it was delicious. Delicious marrow, very healthy as well. So when people had eaten the marrow and the fat, also the fat is also a delicacy, 
They, they, they felt filled up. They said, I have enough. I can't eat anymore. It's this. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm full. I'm satisfied. That feeling. But then in the spiritual sense, they are filled up to the brim. They say, I have everything. I'm satisfied with the goodness of God's house. Right? If you have that, that's the first commandment. Then all other things fade in the background. Other things are not so important anymore. Or Jeremiah 31, verse 14. And I will satiate. It's all words, right? Satiate. Satisfy. I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with, with my goodness. Satisfied with God's goodness. Just eat it. And especially eating the lamb, right? Eating the spiritual food, the Lord Jesus has to be satisfied with his image. And that satisfaction will be, of course, perfect in heaven. When God's people die, and I with the Lord, they may just eat, be satisfied with God's image. And God's image is so satisfying, they may look upon him and just enjoy it to the fullest forever and ever. So, do you know of those moments that you had enough? I mean, in the positive sense, he said, I am so satisfied. I have all I need in God. The Lord is my portion. Do you know what it is to say with the heart? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. I don't need anything else but him. Seek him. Think, think of the first command. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a command of love. Lord says, I want to be, to be satisfied with me. Don't go anywhere else. I have enough to give. Thou should have no other gods before me. Don't do that to me to drink from the other cisterns. So in closing, consider. Do your idols carry you? Do you carry your idols? Or is it a God who carries you to this life, to eternity, and then always be with the Lord forever and ever to enjoy his presence? Isaiah 46. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be, that we may be like? There's a God you cannot compare to anyone. And he has spoken to you this, this morning and this evening. Has said, don't go anywhere else. Don't go anywhere else. Come to me. Seek your salvation only in me. Amen.